0: Welcome to the Skill Ranch. This podcast is designed to equip entrepreneurs, professionals, and consultants with skills to impact tomorrow's work environment. Now, here's your host, Balal.
1: Welcome to the Skill Ranch podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Tracy, who is a leadership engagement consultant, speaker, trainer, and a coach. She is the creator and author of the Relationship Leadership Philosophy, She has worked with organizations to refine strategies on diversity and inclusion and leadership development to improve management effectiveness, change, transition, employee engagement, intrapersonal communication styles, and customer relationship management skills. Welcome to the Skill Ranch Podcast. How are you doing today, Tracy?
0: I'm doing well, how are you?
1: I'm I'm doing fantastic everything is great here in Toronto how about yourself in Atlanta how's everything
0: it's hot and I'm not complaining <laughs> it's hot but everything is well here we've we've got a reduction in traffic so even though covid has you know drove most people home it's been great for traffic so <laughs> That's right. We have a, uh, a horrible reputation for our traffic here, so it made it a lot easier to move around the city.
1: Yeah, things uh, things have changed a lot uh, in the past six months, uh, and a very important topic that has also been in the lights nowadays is diversity and inclusion. As I was going through your profile, Tracy, I saw that you have a lot of experience in this field. With whatever is happening around. How did you come into the field of diversity and inclusion and anti-racism?
0: Well, you know, to me, as we think about everything that has happened with the Black Lives Matter movement and things being caught on tape now on camera, uh, I say tape, that's old school, (laughs) but as things are being recorded, this is something that's been going on that for uh, us in the African-American community, it's not new. To us, it's that everybody else is now seeing it. And so, because of the heightened awareness of everything that's happening the systemic uh, suppression and oppression, the murders of all of, you know, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the countless others, we're seeing it now pushed in our faces, and everybody else is now aware of it. And because of that, it's created this conversation in the workplace that to me centers around relationships and I've been talking to organizations and training and speaking and coaching on relationships for many, many years. And many times people have not realized that differences, but that exist in the workplace. And so now that we're talking about this, my, my, the way that I talk about leadership and relationships has changed. So I've always gone into organizations and talked about how to build trust on teams, leadership effectiveness, treating how you treat people, change management and personality styles, communication styles. And that is, a, that is not all inclusive of diversity, but it is a part of diversity, a large part on how we see other people. And so diversity is wrapped up in the way that we lead Now, most people define diversity different than other, you know, people. A a subset of people over here they might define diversity as a black and white issue. Others may define it as a gender issue. Others, an ethnicity. So we have to have a common language of a common definition on how we really define diversity to begin to have that conversation on what does diversity diversity look like. Now, as far as anti-racism, that is a true ethnic conversation. If I'm a black person and I'm being looked over for promotions, I'm being looked over for, um, uh, or looked down upon or inferior in some way by, by another subset or group of people, then that is racism. That is racism because the playing field is not equal and it's not an uh, uh, equitable distribution of, 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 of resources, talent, and anything that concerns Black people where we are not, when I say we, I include myself in that because I am a Black woman, obviously, <laughs> as you can see. And there have been times where we have just lived with this for so You know, we've lived with this for so long, we didn't really even think, you know, it's almost it's like it's become part of our existence and who we are and and our being and who we move around in the earth as you know we're a black person we're black people and so this has really heightened my awareness of how much trauma we've been actually living with that has it's almost normalized for us so that caused me to really start looking at how did what well, why how are we here And what is the solution going forward? And as I go around and I'm listening to experts, I'm listening to podcasts, I'm listening to, uh, you know, government officials talk about this issue. Some believe that it's, you know, uh, all lives matter, black lives matter. It's not that all lives don't matter. It's like black people's lives don't seem to matter as much as all lives matter. And so you've got these conversations and these debates going on about what really matters and what's important. And it's who you ask. It's who you ask. And so I took an approach to look at viewpoints and beliefs. So people believe, they usually act out of what they believe. They behave out of what they think or what they feel or what they've been taught. And what we're finding out now, it's becoming more and more mainstream, is that what's been taught might not be historically correct. So our culture, our history, and I'm speaking specifically of the African-American experience, it's been written out of a lot of the um, college level courses, the um, schools, the elementary schools. Our stories, other than Black History Month, we get a month to talk about Black people. And it's usually the same group of Black people that we talk about, Harriet Tubman and you know freeing the slaves. But there's so much more that African-Americans have contributed to society and to our to the culture uh, to the American culture and it goes um, it, it, it's like flies under the radar nobody really talks about it and so we don't realize how important that this this group or this you know these people our people my people are important to society and now other people are seeing that they may have some hidden biases that shining light on that. And it's like, oh, I didn't realize that I do have um, what we define as white privilege. I define white privilege as things that you didn't have to go through. So when my sons, my husband, my brothers go out, they are always aware that they could be pulled over and that they may have an encounter with a police officer who may or may not be kind who may be racist, they have to think about these things. Most white men don't have to think about that. So we've got an issue here that re, that's staring us in the face. And because of our unconscious bias of what we think, we are now forced to deal with it on levels that we have never seen before. I mean, most people who, I mean, I won't tell my age, but (laughs) people who have lived longer than me, (laughs) they talk about there has never been a time that the racial tensions and things have been heightened to this level before. I think it's uh, something that we have to face. And I think that it's something that we will be looking, uh, talking about, discussing for a long time to come. Um, where we look for solutions, we look for things uh, to, to help bridge the gap. What is the gap and how can we bridge it? So in answer, long answer to your question, how did I get into this? I got into this for many reasons. I was already in leadership, but the racism part and diversity as it pertains to black and white issues came as a result of this Black Lives Matter. And what are we doing to continue the conversation? And then look at our own biases on how we feel about other people. Because um, I felt some kind of way uh, when all this happened. Uh, my heart was crushed. I was tired. I was worn out. I was, I was uh, just exhausted trying to teach and you know my, my non-African-American friends, colleagues about what my experience has been, what my son's experience has been, what my brother's experience has been. And so we became exhausted with that. And it's like, do your, your, your research. And then what's happened is that the white community uh, was starting to be attacked by the black community because it's like, you know, do your work. And now it's like, all this trauma is coming up. All of these things, these issues are coming up from the past. And so we, then we created this, this, this narrative around the the, 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 riot, the protesting and riots and looting. And we start to put this narrative around that, which largely was because our people were not heard. I don't condone looting, not one, one percent. None. But a lot of what we've seen wasn't always the African American people doing the looting. You know, once again, there's, a, there's, a, there's this narrative that's out there. And so we, you know, we've got this, this issue that has grown to proportions that we had never been, we weren't prepared. We weren't prepared for this. So I have to use my voice to get into the conversation. So my space in this world at this moment is to leverage my expertise. My background, my education, my experience to add uh, and talk about solutions, how we can come to a solution to these problems that we're seeing right now, and to these, uh, you know, the the differences in what we are seeing and what we believe. And um, this is a heart issue, in my opinion, it's a heart issue. And you don't change people; you can't change people's hearts. They have to want to change. And we get to a point where we just have to educate ourselves on what that looks like and have empathy, compassion, and kindness for people who don't look like us. We have to tear down tear down these systems. And a lot of people don't want to let those systems uh, die. They don't they don't want the systems to change. And so we've got this, you know, this push and pull in our society of no, there's nothing wrong with the system, and I wish people would just stop talking about about this, and we could go back to the things we were, <laughs> the way things were. And when we look at 2020, we look at everything that's gone on. We've got economic issues, we've got a pandemic, we've got all these things that have happened in 2020. I believe in divine, uh, the divine, and I believe in God. And I believe that this, I don't believe that God causes this because the God I know that's not his nature. Um, But I do believe that he allows certain things for correction. And I think we are in a season right now of correcting some things. And I think we will be here for a while and I think that we uh, all have something to contribute to the conversation, but we have to at least be able to have a conversation and take uh, part, take hold of our emotions, what we feel, um, be able to, to do our work. When I say do our work, that's everybody do our work of healing, the African-American community to work on healing and to work on how can I be uh in a space where I'm open to, to hearing. Nobody can take away the history of our people, but we can do something going forward because we have people coming after us. So I think this is a moment and a movement and time. And my goal was to be a part of the conversation.
1: That was a good explanation of what's happening. And I picked a few points out of and I would go one by one. So the one thing you mentioned during the conversation was equity. And there's a very like common picture that shows them on the internet that two individuals are going to wear, watch a football match or a cricket match. And one person is tall, the other person is short. Both of them got three boxes to stand over so that they can see the match. The taller person can even see without those boxes. And that person with three boxes was unable to reach that, uh, that railing over which he can watch it out. So, but if it would have been diverse, it would have been kind of a situation where everyone is welcomed and given a chance to equally participate, then the boxes would not be three-three, it would be like five-one, so that both of them can watch the match at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that would help us to see what one person is going through and what res- resources they need in order to be at the point where they want to reach. And right. I, And it can also be related to a network. Let's say a person is very well connected and the other person is unable to get a job. That person can just put a like or a comment and the person who's looking for a job can get more traction, more views. And at the end of the day, would be able to reach into far more uh, recruiters, companies, emails or uh, messages so that they would be able to get that job. Mm -hmm. The second point was around the unconscious mind that is where we need to work a lot i suppose that uh, in our conscious mind we are not biased on many ways but some thought on the unconscious mind and that we don't do ourselves the unconscious mind might be looking at the news and you are just enjoying but the unconscious mind is learning a lot of things at the back that we don't even realize mm-hmm. conscious mind learns from the environment the unconscious mind remembers all the past experience in a way uh, that you, your conscious mind won't even know. Mm-hmm. We need to work on a mechanism that somehow kind of relates to the unconscious bias and ask those in-depth questions that allows you to deeply ponder upon what are your views? Maybe you are acceptable to everyone. And like similarly, being uh, a person of faith, I do, Uh, have the same background that each and everybody is equal. Mm -hmm. But the way I respond to everyone should also be on the same way. that is, that comes from the religious perspective or even on the other side. That is just humanity at at the end of the day. You need to respond to each and every person the way you would like somebody to respond to you. Yeah. That is... That is how you need to, I, I think so that you have a point here, Tracy, maybe you go ahead.
0: The, um, the, that's the golden rule. We talk about the golden rule a lot. Of, the golden rule is treat others the way that you want to be treated. And when I work with leaders and teams, I talk about that, that there is a, a little flaw in that. And, and you know, it's people like, oh my God, you know, that's the Bible or that's the, and it's like, well, you know, that's, it's not... It's not wrong when it comes to compassion, when it comes to kindness. I believe that all of us should treat people that way because we do wanna be treated that way. But the assumption is that everybody wants to be treated the same way and they don't. So uh, I'll just give you a brief example. So I do a lot around human behavior and DISC and personality styles. And I'm considered by the the uh, instrument as a D. A D is very driven, very direct. And I like for you to give things to me straight. Just give it to me straight. Don't, I don't need all the fluff and the numbers and the facts. I just need to just tell me what it is that you want to say. Well, if you are not that type of person, you need the facts, you need numbers, you need data to make a decision. Um, And so if you if the person who has that personality style that they need facts and data they come to me to tell me something they're going to they're going to communicate from that place of who they are i don't want that (laughs) i don't want to hear all of the facts and the numbers i want to hear the end result i want to hear the end result i You know, it doesn't make me right or wrong. It's just, I need to hear this. So the assumption is this person wants to, because I am the, and it's also true the other way around. Let me say that. Sometimes I go to people with real direct quick and they're like, well, wait a minute, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Did, do you have some, did you research that? Did you, did you do this? And did you, it's like, no, I didn't, do, <laughs> I didn't do any of that. So we make an assumption that people want to be treated just like we do. And that's not always the case. Then we call that the platinum rule. We treat others the way they want to be treated, not as we want to be treated. So if I go to you and want that, you know, want, want you to be direct and that's not you, I'm almost violating the part of you that needs that to to communicate well or to connect well, if that makes sense, to relate well yeah. and vice versa. And so we have to learn how to be flexible. And the only way we can get to this point to know is to be in relationship and connect with people. And when I say relationship, I don't mean that you have to, you know, everybody's got different levels of relationship, but to at least connect, make make an attempt to connect with people. And you do it long enough, you'll start to know this person is very direct. This person likes to tell stories. This person likes to listen to, they ask questions. They're very curious. They wanna know more about you well, if I'm the type of person that I don't like to talk about myself, I could see that as offensive. It's like, why are you asking me all these questions? So you see, there's this really (laughs) fine line here between treating others the way that we wanna be treated. Uh, that that we want to be treated because there's an assumption there that could be incorrect. And so that's what I wanted to say to that point because a lot of times that's what we do and we can end up really not being in in the best place to influence. Uh, John Maxwell talks about leadership being influence, and we can often be in those places where we're not influencing, we're actually turning people off or resisting other people because of that, so.
1: But to your point around this, I personally believe that uh... It is only D-I-S-C. But if there would have be been even like four other categories, I think so each and every one of us.
0: Yeah, we're a blend.
1: All falls in all. I mean, there would be a person that's, so you work with women and you are a grief coach to like any other individual who is in the level of grief. I'm sure you would not be a D at that point. You would be a very right. high. exactly, coach. exactly. High, I. So to the point, how we would like to treat Uh, I mean, if we are doing business and this is a business discussion that's going on, all of the people within the room would like to be like a D focused on doing business, a C that shows them the facts, whether this business is viable or not. So I I totally get what you were saying and that is where you are uh, putting a point about empathy, about emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Just beyond that, I mean, the relationship starts on the first day, and that first day would be cold. You need to work over it to know each other well, and only then something fruitful can happen. Very, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned about John Maxwell. So the, he has written even a book on everyone communicates. We all do that, yes. but few connect. Right. That level of connection is what we need to reach, and right. level of connection we need to work hard on achieving that. Right. In my MBA program, uh, we were a group of five, six students that worked uh, on a project for uh, adult learning center. And majority of the students that were in that particular school came from underprivileged backgrounds. And this was a five to six week program that we were running on teaching them concept about entrepreneurship. I mean, the first day we went, uh, if we went there in like 3 piece suits, that is the typical style of MBA. Students, it wouldn't connect with them. We were in like casual dresses that relates to those students. We shared stories, not about like MBA stories or present MBA case studies. We shared them the stories of where our childhood was. I came from a third world country too. The problem that I faced are very similar to the problem that an underprivileged community member will face within such regions. And that is where we connected with them. Mm-hmm. It allowed them to participate in that program that they had to attend after their school hours who would like to stay after school. I mean, you can go out and enjoy, have your leisure time, play with your friends, but like they, because we connected with them that allowed those students to participate. And even after the five week period, they realized how much uh, forward they had come. But that was only possible because Initially, we connected with them. We were emotionally intelligent to know what was their background, what mm-hmm. will work for them, and what didn't. Right. That is why it is very important to be emotionally intelligent yes. and to see what uh, what is happening around you, and then you can make the best informed decision. Right. Taking a, a discussion to more corporate world. So how? Do you see cooperation define diversity and inclusion? Because we kind of relate both of the word. It is usually called DNI, mm-hmm. but diversity is different, inclusion is different. So for the audience, Tracy, could you please share what these words mean?
0: So diversity, I've seen some things out there that really make it simple. And I, I like the, and it's obviously, there are people who will define this in a totally different way. But I think to simplify it, the diversity is being invited to the party. Oh, yes. And, <laughs> and inclusion is being asked to dance, mm-hmm. to be asked to, to contribute to the company. I think uh, in my experience working with different companies and even in different c- countries, they, the, again, back to what I said originally, diversity has this broad definition. Is it black, white? Is it male, female? Is it LGBTQ? Is it, what is it? So we've got this big, big pool of diverse people, meaning they're all different. So how are we going to define it as an organization? What does it mean to us? And so I think that's part of what needs to happen first for organizations inside the corporate space to really define what does that look like for us? What is it and what does it look like for us to have a diverse and inclusive work culture? So when we say inclusion, we're talking about each individual member having the ability to contribute something of value to the company. So you may put me on a team, but that a team in marketing. But maybe that my background experience lends itself to that. But there are maybe special projects that I would like to work on. There are things that I would like to uh, explore ideas. And if those ideas are not wo- uh, welcomed, they aren't um, respected then i feel as a person of color at the organization that i'm not valued i'm not valued and so again diverse and inclusive work cultures is really showing a array of i think one company that does this well is is amazon amazon is the world's largest tech company and they've got you know global presence and although they you know they're different regions. I think that what I'm what I've seen. Um, I did some uh, Juneteenth special for Amazon back in on June 19th, and I heard questions and comments from different people who connected with me on social media about what diversity you know means to them and what it looks like in their organization. And I thought you've got people black, white, all age. Um, you know groups millennials down to uh, generation z and we've got all these different or baby boomers down (laughs) to generation z so we've got this whole array of people of age groups of people working together colors ethnicities sexual orientation all of these different things but it seems at least from as an outsider looking in that their ideas are valued and i again i'm an outsider looking in that their ideas are valued and that they have um, a work culture that actually is innovative. And so without the diverse and inclusive concepts being at play in the work culture, I think companies are missing out on a big opportunity, a huge opportunity to grow and to thrive in the future of where we're going. I mean, we're a colorful group of people that live and are present during this moment and this movement and 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 i think that overlooking that from a corporate standpoint is a big mistake so companies should take this opportunity to look at what is it that we do who is doing it what makes us purpose driven i'm working right now with some women leaders on purpose and it's something that I'm uh, considering taking into organizations on the blueprint for success. What does purposeful organizations, what do they do well? What do they do well? And most of them that I've researched so far have a diverse and inclusive culture, meaning that they really value their people. They have a people first mentality. They live their, they walk their talk and they live their values. So these are established. They're not just plaques on a wall somewhere in the office. Well, now everybody's remote, so they're not just posted on the company's website on the intranet. They are actually lived out from the top down, managers down to janitors. Everybody is living these values. That is being purpose-driven. And so for companies right now to, to create diverse work cultures, they will have to first start with what do we define diversity and inclusion as? So the definition I gave was a very broad one, but what does that look like in our organization?
1: And before even moving towards creating a culture of diversity and inclusion, everybody is coming from a different religion, ethnicity, language, background, color, gender, and we need to understand them. And this is a difficult topic to start. You can't just go uh, walk to someone and ask about what they want. It is, we need to create a safe environment. Mm-hmm. everybody feels safe that if they share something personal about themselves, that would not affect their growth within the company. Mm-hmm. How do we go about creating a safe environment that will welcome different opinions And how, how can we just create that in a small organization and once that organization has become significantly bigger, how can we create them an individual department to ensure it is uh, expanded over the whole company?
0: One word. Listen. Listen. Listening to other experiences, other cultures, other um, you know ethnicities, and my experience as a woman of color is much different than yours. And we talked about this on our initial you know our initial conversation. So for me to understand you and try to, I just wrote a post about this today on LinkedIn. It's so interesting that you're asking me about this. <laughs> that in order for me to understand you. I need to connect with you. So I I think about it as a hat. So I have on my hat and you have on your hat. And so everything that I think under my hat, my, you know, my head, every, every thought that I have is from my perspective. It's, it's from my hat. And so for me to understand yours, I need to take off my hat and I need to get inside your head almost. I need to get inside your brain to see how you think. And, and so I need to be curious. So how is it, and I need you need to feel safe with me answering those questions. So if I have become curious and ask you those questions after I've listened and maybe back, communicated back to you what I heard you say, you have to have a level of safety with me in order to respond. So I talk a lot about psychological safety, and uh, in my grief recovery groups that I run, one of the commitments that we make, we make three commitments to each other every, every time we meet. And one of those commitments is uh, we are respecting the uniqueness and individuality of each person. So what that looks like if my dog died and your mother died, that is not something to start comparing because your grief with your dog is 100% or my dog and your mother, is 100, your grief is 100% for you. So our grief is 100%. We don't put judgments on where well, you're just talking about a dog. I mean, you can replace a dog. You can't replace a person. That's judgment and that's comparison. And we are we are minimizing the emotional impact that this event has had on someone else we cannot connect with people and think we'll have influence with them if we take that approach so part of this conversation and creating safety is learning how to listen and you listen with your heart as well as your ears because when you are listening i am filtering everything you say through my heart and my mind most of the time it's your mind first But when you start to seek first to understand rather than to be understood, which is one of Stephen Covey's seven habits, you begin to take off your hat and put get on the other, uh, put the other person's hat on and get into their space to understand how they think, what they believe. Only then can I start to really make a connection to understand them because when we feel understood, we feel safe.
1: But that is a very powerful point that you made. I will come back to this one with a different view towards the end, but here the point that you're making that once we start judging, mm-hmm. then we are understanding somebody else's perspective according to our views rather than the nature, the experience, the background, the feeling, the emotion the other person is coming from. Mm-hmm we don't understand that if we start judging those things. Mm -hmm. That is where you have to listen extremely deeply uh, with keeping your mind totally focused on the individual and only
0: then you can. Our biases get in the way of listening a lot too. We're not hearing what's being said. We hear what we think is being said.
1: Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. That was the first step to create a safe environment where individuals feel psychologically safe. Mm-hmm. Next step that we can do is to make the organizations diversified and have an inclusive culture. What would be your thoughts around that? How can we create an organization that is considered to be diverse, like a diversity and inclusion organization? and especially our team, like uh, I did inform my colleague, Trent, that I'd be doing a recording today on diversity and inclusion. And he said that we would like to also know how a company that has recently started that is two to three years old can continue the diversity and inclusive culture that we have today and move it forward, even when we have 50, 100, 500 employees and even grow further, how can we ensure to have it and to ensure that we keep it going through once we are even bigger.
0: Great question. That's an excellent question and I'm getting asked that question quite a bit. So first out, you know, the first step was defining diversity. What does that look like for us? And then committing to what a common language would be around diversity. So if we want to create a diverse and inclusive culture, what does that look like? Are we talking about black, white, if different ethnicities? Are we talk? What are we talking about? And then what do we value? So the same thing, the same things that corporations are doing now, but there's another level of that, and that's behavior. How do we attract? I know this is a big question that a lot of companies are asking. How do we attract and recruit and retain a diverse workforce? Well you have to create that and people will come who want to be involved in a diverse workforce so therefore uh your website your company cultures your what does it look like your marketing everything around who you say you are needs to match everything your corporate identity your corporate branding um your website everything that we look at social media so i need to see more of people who look like me. because one of the things that happened early on when, when the Black Lives Matter and the George Floyd murder was just you know was just had just happened, we saw a lot of companies use these statements of solidarity and standing against racism. Well you can stand against something, but what are you for? What are you for? and then what does that look like in action? I can say that I am against racism, but what does that mean? Have we looked internally to see where we may have some race uh racism and systemic uh systems uh or systemic oppression and systems that are set up that are not inclusive of all people? So do we have enough diversity on our board and and if I've heard this argument from some leaders in in uh, corporate America that talk about Uh, qualified candidates, well, should we just hire a candidate just because they're a person of color and maybe they're not qualified? That statement in and of itself is a racist statement, in my opinion. So what you're saying is you cannot find, uh, let's just use a person of color, for instance, or a woman, we can use both. You cannot find anywhere on the planet a person who fits the Expertise that you want on this position, I don't care how far you've got to look you have to look. We have the world wide web now <laughs> we have a global a global um, you know pot to choose from. You cannot tell me that you can't find someone who fits exactly what you have. The problem becomes when you put those positions and post those positions and you're on a search for this person depending on how many layers they have to go through, headhunters and executive search firms and whatever, what have you, you've got all these layers of people who, have, who could have biases. So they're only going to look in certain places to bring you a selective group of candidates. I guarantee you, there are people out here that are well-qualified who do not fit the white male or white female genre <laughs> they don't fit that and because there are more whites on boards than blacks so let's just face it there are there are people who don't fit that who are well qualified to sit on those, those those boards however the excuse is we can't find people or we just have to hire this person just so we can give the appearance of being diverse and it's like that in itself is a is a system that's a system of oppression it's like well, so you're, and then when they, get on the, when they get on the board, then they've got to fight to have their voices heard. So it's another level of this. So when you ask the question, what do corporations need to do? They need to take a real hard look internally to make sure that they are living up to the values that they said they would live up to. That means a behavior change from the top down. It's inclusive of hiring a diverse group of people it's also inclusive of training, developing. People want, uh, you know, back, and I'm, you know, a little bit more seasoned than Generation Z or millennials. <laughs> but people didn't leave and job hop a lot. They didn't job hop a lot. And so when you have a find a company, and there are many reasons for that, but loyalty is something that I think every company would like to have. Loyalty. I would like to have a group of loyal employees because we can share in this experience of growth. If I, as an employer, am not doing anything to help you to grow and to help you to develop your potential and maximize your potential as my employee or working for my organization, I've done you a disservice. I've done you a disservice. So we've got to look internally at all these systems, hiring, the the board. We've got to look at how we treat people because those reviews that are on these job boards tell a different story than what's being told inside. So what is the reputation of the organization? What are, what are people saying about us? And you know, we can't just dismiss all of the low low uh, stars, you know, if you got five-star ratings and one star, you can't just dismiss the one stars disgruntled employees and we can't just do that. We've got to listen to what's being said. Again, listen. Listen. This is not the time to resist everything. It's a time to listen. Maybe bring those people, you know, back to a table and say, "Hey, what could we be doing better? What could we do that would uh, What could we do that would be, make the workforce or the workplace more diverse or more inclusive? What did we miss? What, what are we missing? Or what did we miss? What can we do better?" What would you like to see? What would make you feel more of, um, uh, as a team player here, what would make you feel like you belong? And that's a big human emotional need, is the need for belonging. Because wherever you feel like you fit, you're loyal to that. So we want loyalty and we want to train and develop people to bring their best, but not just bring their best at this level to help them grow and reach their full potential. We've got to look at all of these things to be able to say that we are a diverse and inclusive culture and that we welcome all people and that we do not discriminate. We don't have a system. The system is fair. The system is equitable for each and every person, no matter what your, you know, you do have to bring a certain level of expertise. If something requires you to have a four year degree or, you know, advanced degree, you have to have that, you have to have it. But in order for us to, to play fair, we've got to look at these internal systems and say, what can we do internally? Because what people hear, what companies say they're going to make changes, what your employees hear and what they see may be a lot different than what you said in the media. And it only takes a couple tweets, (laughs) a couple blog posts to really tell a story that's not being shared, which can definitely be damaging to a company's corporate reputation.
1: Here, I would like to share, like about the John Maxwell team, where both of us are connected,
0: and I can
1: go to our statement as people of value, mm-hmm. value to others. I mean, I will share examples of JMT hug. I know many individuals attended the. Conference this time virtually, so I won't kind of tell how it is. But if you just analyze that it is safe, it is ethical. So the both the person don't feel uncomfortable around it. Mm-hmm. Kind of culture. Then like our our team has probably all the religions there, and we talk openly about what we believe and we share example. Maybe sometimes if you're sitting on a round table with GMTers, you might find more example coming from. The religious world, or or whatever belief somebody has, compared to the leaders of today. Mm-hmm. And having that kind of a culture where you can share whatever views you can to add value, and those would be respected. I mean that that is why like why John Maxwell team is doing what what it has been doing compared to the other organizations who are in the same same playing field. And to some of your conversation, just this part of the conversation we had. Loyalty comes from being valued. Mm-hmm. Being valued means you are appreciated, you are listened, you, you are being given value to your thoughts. Your thoughts are being discussed, actions are being taken, and at the end of the day, you are contributing towards the growth of the company. And that is being uh, well received, and you are getting promotion based upon it, upon them, and getting appreciation on them and that makes you a loyal employer. And there's a very common uh, saying that uh, people don't leave uh, companies, they leave bosses. So if you have that culture, that thing would, uh, you will have loyal employees who won't want to leave your companies. And now coming back to the thought around judgmental, like I see that uh, when I was just listening to your thoughts on judgmental thing that we utilize daily during the coaching practice if you have a coaching partner that you coach and you are listening to what your client is saying and if you start analyzing on it on that then you are just listening on a level one where you're getting their opinions you're applying it to yours and see how that thing affects you mm-hmm. next state there's level two you kind of are listening to that person, your, your thoughts are not there anymore, but you are not directly listening to that person. This is even a better stage. But what level three does, it, not only you are truly listening to the person with no thoughts in your mind, but you're seeing their emotions. Mm-hmm. What is the point they don't want to share? Or what is something they are passionate about? What is something that they would like to hide? And that is where the questions you shared how can we make you more like uh, be a part of the society, be a part of the company, be a part of the team. And maybe those questions might be asked on a one-on-one calls. Mm -hmm. A person feels more trusted, a person feels more comfortable sharing those things. And once you start, uh, because these are difficult conversations, but when you start, that trust starts to build up and then you should ensure that that trust is being carried forward. And maybe that's what I feel from your conversation can be a good way of uh, creating a team, creating a company diverse down the road, even
0: when they're like Amazon, who have employees all over the world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Trust takes time to build, but it can be torn down in a second, a nanosecond. And trust, trust comes from trustworthy behaviors. Talking and walking have to match. You can't say you're going to do something and then don't do it. Uh, or you, if you can't do it, communicate that. You can't pretend like you care when you really don't care. You know, John Maxwell always says people. I don't know if it's him. I don't know who originally. <laughs> uh, I think it was Maya Angelo that says people. I don't know who it was, but the quote is: People don't care how much you know. Uh, they care they they want to know how much you care yeah. uh, or they you know people won't ever remember what you said, but they will definitely remember how you made them feel. I think that was my angelo, yeah. so part of our connecting with people is caring for them, caring about what's happening in their world, caring about their You know, we don't get into a lot of personal things sometimes at work, or we have like, you know, some boundaries and parameters about how much we share. But if I know that you have a a son or a daughter, um, I'm going to ask about that. When I used to be in sales many years ago, I used to uh, sell uh, radio advertising and uh, media uh, sponsorships and things like that. And when I would go out to a prospect's office, I would always look around their environment. And I'd look for, I'd scan the room for pictures or anything that would help me to connect with them. Because many times, up to up until this point, other than doing internet research, I couldn't really get a a handle on how important, what's important to this person. But when they're in their personal space, you can see many times what's important to them. So if I saw a picture of their teenage daughter, uh, her cheerleading picture. I would ask about that. It's like, is that your daughter? And they would say, yeah. the The whole mood would just change. Like, yeah, that's my daughter. It's like, oh wow, she cheers for blah blah blah. How how old is she? And is she graduating. And they just light up. And people feel like you are really concerned and you're curious about my life. And it's like, oh wow, that's great. And you know, and it doesn't have to be fake. It can if you really are coming from a genuine place. It's not fake. Like you really care about what they care about. So you connect with people based on what's important to them and sometimes you have to get into their environment. I mean, now we've got Google. We we can't get in anybody's environment now because of the social distancing. So the only the next best step is for us to Google and comb through their personal profiles. What are they posting? What do they put on Twitter and what do they what do they put on Facebook and you know LinkedIn? And so for us to really find out and connect and who they are. But in exchange for that, you get a person who feels like you get them. You also get a person who feels like, you know, this is somebody that I can do business with, or this is somebody that I can work for, or this is someone who I'd like to have in my in my circle or in my space. Um, so it's important for us to know that we connect with people based on something that is important to them first, because we are here to be servants. So it's not about us. It's not about us all the time. It's not about what you want to sell. It's not about what you, uh, your, your quota. And a lot of uh, sales teams miss this point. It's not about you and your product or your service. It's not. (laughs) It's about what the value you bring to the other person. And it's what they see as valuable, not what you see as valuable. So we've got to learn how to connect because a lot of sales is just connection. That's actually where I first got my kind of like a little bug for, Like, wow, relationships. I said, you know, people buy from people. They really do buy from people they know, like, and trust, but people that they also believe, who believe in them, and they believe in what they're doing. Uh, People who are confident. And so I thought, you know what? There's something more to this that's being taught than in these sales trainings. (laughs) There's something more than just selling here here's your you know widget go sell these you know today and come back with don't come back with any come back with orders or purchase orders so the part of this connection is very um is is connecting with people on a level where they feel heard they feel valued valued is key and they feel acknowledged they feel acknowledged, like you've acknowledged their existence of what's happening in their world. And the only way that you can find out what's happening in their world is to be curious and listen, ask questions and listen. That's what sales, that's what sales really is. Asking questions and listening. And how can I make your life better? How can I make your organization better? How can I make these things better if I'm not connecting with you, if I'm not asking these questions if i'm not caring about what you care about um and you see it every day you you if you well probably not so much right now because we're not interacting with the public a lot but if you really slow down and pay attention everywhere you go you can pretty much gauge the level of care that you're getting or even that you're giving by how you interact with people When you go to a grocery store, do you smile? Do you connect with people? Do you say hello? Do you look the cash register, the cash, the the lady at the cash register, do you look her in the eye or look him in the eye? Do they look you in the eye? Because I did this as an experiment once I went to the grocery store and, um, you know, person, and you put all your items up on the belt and they're just beep, beep, they're just scrolling your items by. And they never looked up. Not one time they never looked up. And so I said, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something. It's like, hi, how's your day going? And they stopped for a second. It was like, it's going well, thank you for asking. So rather than being just a mechanical, you know, like a mechanical action of I just need to, you know, get these people through my line, I can stop and, and and connect with people. And so I'm like, you having a good day? Sometimes they say, No, I'm not having a good day, and I'm trained to be okay with that. Let the let the let today not be okay, <laughs> and it's okay that it's not okay. Um, Tomorrow is coming Tomorrow, God willing, is coming And it'll be a better day And so just, you know, be strong Be courageous, be confident And sometimes I'll say thank you Just a brief two-minute conversation Can help lift somebody's day And I think if we would You know, and I'm not the person Who, you know, flies around On a hallelujah cloud all day Thinking that the world is, you know, rainbows, puppies And sunshine, because that's not true (laughs) but i can do my part i can shed, shine my light when i go to places because that's all i am in re- control of and responsible for is what i do my actions and my behaviors and i think if people will pay more attention to that we can have better organizations it can't always be about profits and and you know also that is that is why we do what we do but it can't always be that as the main thing it has to be the people it's the people that make the profits and I, I wholeheartedly believe that. And I believe that when people feel like they belong in a culture where they respect it, where they're valued, where, they're, um, where their opinions are heard and that they matter. And this is, a, this is something that leaders and managers really have to grab a hold of. It's not just production and just just go and just do these things. It's about people because we can see how one, you know, this thing with diversity, uh, this this whole conversation around diversity, we can see what's happened. We can see what's happened here. So what? how are we going to come to a solution and get people to at least want to come to work and feel valued at work? We've got to care about where they are. We've got to care about your Black employees who've been traumatized, um, I've seen many, read many, many blogs and articles, and heard conversations and meetings where, uh, you know, pe- uh, consultants are saying to their their clients that, you know, be kind to your black employees today. And some of them are like, they can grieve on their own time. This is this is work, you know. Here they are on a Skype or a Zoom meeting trying to hold it together by what they're experiencing, the trauma from being seeing things every week happen to someone that looks just like them, that's trauma. And so we're just dismissive of that, like, oh, they can go deal with that on their own time. That's, that's not a way to build a diverse and inclusive work culture, not at all. It doesn't take into account the person. So we've got some work to do. We've got some discussions to be held. Uh, to be had. And we also have some uh, com- uh, behaviors that we need to really look at. And looking at yourself is kind of hard. It, it's, it's, it's some grief there, you know, and I, that's what I do in my coaching, you know, after we do these trainings. And a lot of times people want individual help where they, like, you know, I really do need to help. I need some help in putting this together. And I feel this way. And that that's, we can only deal with what's true. What's true. And you know what's true for you whether you want to admit it to other people or not. I think most people inherently know what's true for them if they live from their heart, not their head. And um, and there's help for that, but we don't sometimes like to admit we need help or we want help. And so we just continue on with the status quo and then we end up with what we end up with, so.
1: Well, those, those are fantastic thoughts, Tracy. And I would just like to close with the, this thing like change takes time, change doesn't happen in a day. So transformation, similarly with transformation, society won't transform in a day, but each and every one of us have to take the steps that we can in our domain, in our world, in our way, to make that a better place for the people of color, for different genders, for different religions, people, so that each and everybody is welcome. And on the other hand, we should try to appreciate, like an organization can't move through the ladder of diversity in a day. But if somebody is genuinely doing something, appreciate them. But this is not an easy task to start because you need to understand, you need to listen, and then you need to incorporate those thoughts and only then you can create a a diversified organization that is catering to the needs and provide equitable opportunity to each and every individual. Uh, it will take time, but once really? we started, we will eventually reach to our end goal. And we can't be the most inclusive organization on any day because there's always room for growth. So right. as you relate to yourself on personal growth. Leaders grow daily and not in a day, but so this is something we should strive as organizations to work on it bit by bit so that six months down the road, a year down the road, we are far ahead from where we are today.
0: Absolutely. I totally agree. Crisis reveals your leadership.
1: Yep, yeah, it is. Uh, it, it does. And <laughs> I, you see some people are becoming extremely successful and some people have, uh, have to make some tough decisions as as organizations to sustain through this period. That's right. I know we talked on a very tough topic about diversity and inclusion, and let's talk something more light. So Tracy, share some fun fact about yourself with the audience.
0: Oh my goodness. You caught me off guard there. Let's see. (laughs) What's a fun fact? Ah, fun fact is I am, uh, let's see. I love dance. I love Zumba. Zumba dance, that's a fun oh. fact, the Latin dancing, I love to, to move, and um, I'm a grandmother of three, Nice. most people gr- like, oh, I can't believe you're a grandmother, <laughs> that's because Zumba, <laughs> that's because I do Zumba, but uh, I am a, um, I love, I love reading, and I'm not even sure that that, that's like such a part of who I am. I don't know if you would call that fun. It's fun for me because I love to read, you know, I just love reading and, and consuming, uh, just good, good content and people like thought leaders. I really do love to read and, uh, anything around neuroscience and, and leadership and human behavior and, uh, spirituality and things like that. I love to read and, um, when I'm in the mood, I love to learn about herbs and things that are natural and healthy for our bodies. So I experiment with things occasionally. So those are some, I don't know, don't you call those fun? <laughs> that's just me. Okay, that's great. Thanks for
1: sharing those thoughts, Tracy. And once again, uh, on behalf of the Skill Ranch, I would really appreciate that you came here and you talked about a very important topic and shared your wonderful insights around
0: it absolutely well thank you for
1: having me it was a pleasure talking to you tracy have a great day bye for now bye-bye so thank you everyone and i'm looking forward to having you all on the next episode of skill Ranch podcast